It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. The hits principle is corny, old-fashioned, and all that. But you know what? These guys are buying in. And Dan Weeder. I get criticized all the time for being negative in my coverage of the Chicago Bears. And I tell people, again, it's my 10th season. I have covered one winning season and zero playoff victories. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. We are here on the Odyssey app. You can get us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I am David Haw, along with Dan Reeder from the Chicago Tribune. Talking Bears, going to be here all year, our first season of doing this, but we have been here for a long time covering this franchise, and there's news over the weekend that we are going to break down. Roquan Smith ended his holdout, or was it a hold-in, or whatever you want to call it, Dan. Contract impasse, protest. How did you describe it in the paper, and what did you make of what we heard Saturday? Well, first of all, I'm glad to see that you are back and safe and sound from Las Vegas. It's good to see you back in uh, in good spirits. It looks like you got some sun while you were out there, so good job on that and, and way to get back safely. Obviously, Saturday was a busy day. It was one of those Saturdays in August where you say, okay, this is just going to be an in and out, quick practice at Hellas Hall, and then Roquan's back on the practice field, which changes the dynamics of the entirety of the day and the entirety of the week. What we heard was a player who had run out of options, right? And a player who was basically told that his trade request had been declined. His uh, the, the numbers that he wanted in his contract had been declined. You play for us or you don't play at all. And so Roquan was back practicing. Interesting uh, exchange for Roquan to get up and, and take questions for nine minutes. He shared a lot in those nine minutes, David, but I think what we've seen here is that this is uh, not necessarily a mess that's been cleaned up, but maybe just pushed into the corner for now, right? And now it's going to be really interesting to see how both sides handle this, the relationship part of it, the production and performance part of it going forward here in a situation that obviously, as you heard from Roquan's comments over the weekend, is still relatively unresolved, even with him returning to practice. It's a fluid situation. It's an ongoing story. This is more of a comma than it is a period. And I think that's what's interesting. I do have many thoughts about what we heard and what this means. I want to hear from Roquan. I think it's important for people to do the same. You might have thoughts on what you think about it. Let us know on Twitter. I'm at David Haw. Dan is at, at Dan Weeder, W-I-E-D-E-R-E-R. Or you can just go to our Take the North podcast uh, Twitter site. It's at Take the North Pod. And you can let us know what you think because – there's plenty of opinions out there, what this means to Ryan Pohl's big picture, what this means to the Bears in terms of this season. I think overall, let's just get started. This means that this first year of Matt Eberflus training camp, the preseason, can move on without having this dark cloud hanging over. It doesn't mean it's going away. It just means it's, you know, but the focus goes back to football. And that was the, that was a hope, the hope, I think, when Roquan Smith, Dan, met the media on Saturday of all days. It was after – uh, a practice, and I and I think that it was good that he chose to go this route. But he made clear that there would be no more negotiations. Are you saying that you will not consider any more offers from the Bears? 
Um, there's there's no more offers at this time, and I don't think there will be any during the season. My focus has shifted to this season, so that's what I'm focused on right now, just this season. It's been an amazing four years, and, hey, five, why not make it a little more special? So that's my plan. Your full intention, then, is, if I'm, I want to make sure I'm understanding correctly, is to play this season and then leave. My full intention to play this season and whatever happens, happens, you know, and whatever it is I have to go through this season, I'll do it chin up, chest out, sunsets, no regrets, baby. You said the process was was very distasteful, to say the least. How was the process distasteful? Uh, I think it was just more so when not coming into an agreement when I feel like I've busted my ass so long here, you know, and not being rewarded. Um was something I thought I was rightfully rightfully deserved uh, in a sense. It's like, hey, you bust your ass, you may get you may get rewarded in a sense. But hey, that's that. I'm moving moving past it now, and I'm focused on the season and going out there and enjoying the time with my guys because that's who I you know truly care about. That was pretty honest, Dan. Pretty candid, and that sounds like a motivated Roquan Smith. What was your first reaction? Yeah, chin up, chest out, sunsets, no regrets, baby. That's that's the best way for Roquan to approach the 2022 season going forward. I do think that Roquan has the gear to be able to put this in the the, the back of his mind going forward and, and to be able to go out there and play hard and play the way he's capable of playing and, and, and not let this sort of affect his mood, his mindset, his ability to contribute to this team the way they need to see him contribute. I go back. To, to, to January when when Bill Polian was brought in, right, to to look at the situation that the Bears were in before even Ryan Pace and, and Matt Nagy were fired. And, and Bill Polian identified a lack of blue chip talent on this roster, right? He said you need about 10 to 12 of these guys that are blue chippers to win a championship. The Bears at that time, I think he identified, had, had like five or six. And that was when Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, and Allen Robinson were still on the roster, right? And so now we know how void of talent this roster is. Roquan is one of these guys that can be a building block. Well, is he going to be a building block or is he just going to be a placeholder based on what's going on with the future, right? It, with, with, with what the the fracture and this back and forth has has created – is Roquan a part of this team's long-term plans from here? That's going to be really interesting to see, or whether it's just he goes out and plays in 2022, shows the rest of the league what he can do, and, and potentially sign somewhere else. The franchise tag has, has been mentioned a number of times as an option for the Bears in 2023, but it's an expensive option. And my thoughts on that is if you're not willing to meet Roquan at his number here, I'd be surprised that you'd be willing to you know go north of $20 million for a season for him as opposed to just flipping the page. I, I think I understand what you're saying there. And I would say this, in a, the context of this entire conversation and the evaluation of what Roquan Smith means to the Bears and is, is worth in the league yeah. is, could change, could change in 17 weeks, 18 weeks. And it, it could change over the course of the season because that's what I liked about what he said is whatever happens, happens. He didn't say I'm never going to sign a long-term contract with the Bears. He didn't say I'm going to walk into free agency and refuse to play for the, pri- the franchise tag. I think that he said he's going to remain open-minded, even though he may be ticked off now. You just don't know, Dan. How many times have we seen things change yeah. over the course of a season? And, and I feel like this was almost like a mature response. And last week, I think I said last time we met was, okay, Roquan, somebody – there needs to be an adult in the room that tells Roquan Smith to, to end this and figure things out and just play – and figure things out later. And I think what he found out, the adult in the room 
was the guy looking at him in the mirror. I mean, this was a very strong move by Roquan Smith to say, let's play football and worry about the details later. Well, we don't know if it was the man looking in the mirror or if it was the boss saying, hey, you know those fines that we can threaten you with? Guess what? They're going to start Monday, right? Like they're going to start Saturday. They're going to start as Good soon point. as possible, Good right? Point. So so it, it may not be Roquan sort of taking the mature route as, as opposed to just taking the route that is the only route that he can take without losing all this money. What makes this complicated for you and I, David, is we don't know at this stage what we, – we know there's a canyon, right? We know there's a canyon between – the two sides in this case, but we don't know what the Bears offered and we don't know what, what Roquan asked. And so we had a chance to, to kind of touch on that subject Saturday with Roquan. Here's some of what he had to say on that. I see myself at a, a number and they see me at a number and it was, hey, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't agree. We can agree to disagree, but hey, I would never accept a bad deal. Like I pretty much said, I would never accept a deal that I don't feel like is worth what I'm worth. Are you willing to share the number? Uh, no. Why not? Because it's, it, it wasn't the number that I needed, nor what that I wanted. I mean, it was a one-year request, though. I mean, your number. Yeah, my number. It, it wasn't. It wasn't what they. What it. it their, my number and their number was not the same, and that's that's pretty much all I can say on that. Your number more than any other uh, off the linebackers been paid. Um, well, yeah, I, definitely. Like five, five years, six years. I, I would probably think so. Yeah. So Dan. Let's a quick aside here from a very uh, journalistic standpoint. We both have covered teams and contract negotiations for a long time and had other situations. How surprised are you that that number that everybody's talking around and he refuses to reveal? How surprised are you that that number hasn't leaked? Well, yeah, David, I'm I'm surprised that that neither side is willing to sort of shed light to strengthen their case, right? It, obviously, both sides feel very firmly that they're in the right in this situation. And it seems like it would be really easy to provide more clarity on this situation if one side were to offer one of those numbers, right? The, the two numbers we don't know. Again, it's a, it's a canyon between the two numbers right now. It seems to me that the Bears feel very confident that they offered Roquan something that they see as fair in the context of how the league views him as a talent, in addition to how he, you know they view him as a talent. And Roquan obviously wants something greater, wants to be rewarded as, as the highest paid off-the-ball linebacker in the NFL. It goes back to some of the things we've talked about for a month now, that there's a difference between being a really, really good player, which I think the Bears consider to be and being a league superstar right and so i think that's where these requests are right now here's the offer we're going to reward you as a really really good player sorry sir i would like to be paid as a superstar canyon impasse hold in and now here we are with with this thing being put on hold really probably until uh at the at the very earliest january the last thing i thought that he addressed was also very interesting because in his trade demand and it was a demand It was a statement. It was eloquent. It seemed like it was crafted well in advance. Maybe he had some help. Maybe he didn't. But it seemed as if he was making a plea to ownership directly, to George McCaskey, to the entire McCaskey family. And and this was what he was asked in, in regard to that. In your statement, you mentioned the possibility of ownership getting involved in these negotiations. Were you disappointed that they did not? Obviously, Poles is new here, but maybe you felt you would have some more loyalty from ownership. Were you disappointed that they didn't get involved? And then how do you reconcile going out and representing an organization that you feel personally disrespected? Oh, wow. Great question. But um, I would say um, my uh, loyalty lies uh, with the uh, city of Chicago, you know, the loyal fans here, the guys in the locker room who I 
put go put blood, sweat, and tears on the line with uh, each and every day, each and every week. So I'm more so focused on those guys and doing being the best guy I can be for those guys because that's what matters at the end of the day, and that's what you have when this is all said and done. David, you, you hear there uh, a guy who has to sort of shift the lens that he's looking at this through, right? And, and it was very uh, interesting there, I think, that he emphasized his loyalty to Bears fans and the guys in the locker room. That's obviously a, a, a pretty big exclamation point statement about how he currently feels about the people at the top of the front office, Ryan Poles uh, being the, 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 the headliner of that list. And so it's going to take all of Roquan's professionalism to, to sort of put that aside and not let that impact who he is as a football player, who he is as a teammate. That's going to be interesting. I mean, I think Roquan's capable of doing it. I think that's where his professionalism comes in. You know, we've all been in situations where maybe we felt snubbed or underappreciated or undervalued by, 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 by our, our employers. And, and you go out and you do your best work because that's the pride you take in what you do, right? And I think Roquan has that gear to be able to do that. Let me ask you this, and it's only an opinion because there's no way either one of us are going to know the answer to this. But do you think that this resolution, if you want to call it that, or this kind of, uh, uh, I don't, it, it's sort of a truce, do you think the way that this ended in preseason will affect his willingness to play through injury knowing that he's playing for his next contract? Well, look, I think we saw that last season with Allen Robinson, right? All of a sudden, you've got a, a quad strain or a, a calf strain or a hamstring pull, and there is no incentive for you to go back out on the field for a last place football team and and grind through that, right? Like so, that these are are things that are are going to factor into this without question. I think this Bears team, as we all assume, is going to be a team that's well below five hundred for for much of the year, and so you have to be able to take care of yourself, right, for your future, and not put yourself in in harm's way it's a different scenario if you're playing for a championship contender and your financial uh, future is secure and so i think that's certainly going to be something that we have to keep an eye on in the months of you know november december and into january good answer keep an eye on it i think that's fair i, I ask i want to ask you this i mean from a football perspective is it wrong that i wonder if because he's a linebacker he's going to have a different mentality and, and to these kind of knickknack you know t- tacky tic-tac injuries and then maybe a wide receiver who was a number one wideout who might have been a different stage of his career would have and I, I have a lot of respect for Allen Robinson but was disappointed in his approach last year sure I will be equally disappointed if Roquan Smith the tough guy that we know him to be and he's a linebacker making every tackle if he has this approach to not wanting to play through a quad strain that maybe you know he would have ordinarily I, I wonder about that or is that just the meatball bear fan and everybody that says you know what? He's a linebacker. He's tough. He'll he'll grit it out. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe he will, right? And I think one of the things that's interesting in this regard is Matt Eberflus said on Saturday that that listen, this will linebacker position in this defense is going to present opportunities for you to be a big time playmaker. And maybe Roquan sees that quickly, right? He gets on the field, he starts making plays in games, starts making these these headline grabbing plays that that allow you now to to boost your stock heading into 2023. And you become addicted to, to that. The idea of, man, every week I'm flying around. I've got guys in front of me that are freeing me up and I've got a chance to make game changing plays. And so maybe that's where Roquan finds his fuel, right? And finds his rhythm and his momentum from that. It'll be really interesting to see kind of how he approaches this because it's a long road. And that's where I think the Bears have an opportunity here. And that's where I think that Ryan Poles, I I don't want to say he declares victory, but I think this is a small win for him. Number one, because the way this started, nobody would have guessed it would have ended this way based on the clumsy way he handled it publicly. It wasn't a good day. You all remember it. We'll always remember it because of the, the mark that it left. 
but he stood his ground. He didn't concede. He did get his player to play this season. He's going to be motivated. And you know what? If Roquan Smith plays as well as he sounds that he's motivated, as well as he's motivated to, to play, he's going to be a Pro Bowl player. He's going to be an all pro caliber linebacker, and he might be worth the money that he's asking for. So that would be worthwhile for a team that's going to have over $100 million in cap space. Maybe they want to identify him as a building block after the season, or maybe they don't and they can't find a number and they have a franchise tag to buy them one more year. Either way, I feel like big picture, this is a good moment for Ryan Poles because you don't let one of your best players walk. You don't, you don't, get, you don't have to trade him. You don't want to get rid of talent. And also – he keeps him in the fold, and it, he's a motivated player to play at a high level this year. Yeah, my last thought on this is time will tell whether the Bears did this the right way and whether it was the best possible solution to this complicated scenario. But at the very least, they certainly have handled this in a way that has allowed Ryan Poles to retain his vision for how he wants to build a championship roster, right? And so Ryan stood firm to that. He knows what he wants to do with this roster. He made decisions in, in this situation to help him stay true to that. And now it's all about following through the road to to find other places to invest that allow you to become closer to a championship contender real quick would you tell me and caution me against phrasing this like ryan poles won this round or ryan poles this reflects well on him do you think that's overstating it uh, I don't know if it's overstating it. I just wouldn't state it any more than that, if if that's a good way to put it, right? Like, I, I wouldn't, you know, we, we, I used to talk about this. It's As a newspaper guy, you'll get this. How big is the headline, right? right you can write right, that headline. Right, just right. don't put it in 70-point font above the fold, right? It can be down here, Ryan Poles, you know, it's all about where you put the story. and where This you is lower headline. right with the midweek hockey victory with the 42-point headline. This isn't screaming back page, yes. you know, Poles position. You know, yes. nothing like that. So remember this, because this might be a segment for Up the Road. How big is your headline is one of my favorite games to play. And so we're, we can maybe get that in on the Take the North pod uh, as we go forward. I love that. You know I'm a sucker for a good newspaper <laughs> angle. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's check out and look back. What did we learn this week? You first, Dan. All right. Well, I think we talked after the Seahawks game that we're seeing a brand of defense that is uh, refreshing, that is familiar from some of the glory days of the 21st century, that we're seeing a defense that has an ability to fly around, ability to respond to Matt Eberflus and Alan Williams's demands for how they want to play football. Encouraging signs here, right? And we saw that in the Seattle game. We saw it 
in the Chiefs game. We talked about it on the last podcast. The Bears went 17 consecutive possessions through spans of both of those games in which they didn't give up a point. That's a victory for Matt Eberflus, for Allen Williams, and the guys that are playing for them because they're obviously uh, you know, gelling together pretty nicely. And with a couple weeks until the regular season begins, it's nice to see that momentum built. That's a good one. I am going to go a different direction. I'm going to go on the offensive side of the ball. And you referenced my Vegas trip. I didn't get a chance to, <laughs> to, to watch every snap as closely as I would have wanted. There were reasons I barely, I think I remember what they were, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, so I get back today and I had an opportunity after the Mullen Haw show this morning to watch part of the game again that I really wanted to watch. And I zeroed in on Tevin Jenkins. And I think that again, I want to be cautious this preseason. I don't want to contradict myself saying it means nothing and very little and then overstate things like Ryan, about Ryan Poles or Tevin Jenkins. But th- I'll say this. I came into this training camp thinking Tevin Jenkins was more of a liability to the Bears and maybe an albatross as a, uh, a high pick from the previous regime that they didn't know what to do with or how to coach. I am left after Thursday night and last week wondering – if this may be, I don't want to call it a stroke of genius, but really a good use of your resources, a reallocation of your resources with your offensive line. Tevin Jenkins represented himself pretty well upon further review for playing a new position for a guy that I think you sort of pigeonholed as this big burly tackle and had to you know protect the blind side. I liked what I saw, Dan, and I think that For the team in development, as much as I like the experience that Schofield and maybe Reef offer, Reef is a different story, but let's talk about Schofield. I like Tevin Jenkins at right guard. I want to see where that goes. And what I learned last week is that that's not the worst idea, or as bad of an idea as I thought it would be, the fact that he might start at right guard alongside whoever at center. I like Tevin Jenkins at right guard. Hey, guys. So I'll jump in here as well. So the thing that I've learned, I'm going to stick on the offensive side of the ball like David. I think that I learned, especially in that the last several days watching the 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 the, the win against Seattle, I learned that Luke Getzey understands that his offensive line isn't going to be good and is adjusting his offense accordingly. We saw the first play from scrimmage against Seattle was a screen to, to Cole Komet. We saw Justin Fields get on the move a lot. I think we're going to see that a ton if they, having an effective screen game would be something we haven't seen in Chicago since like ever, I don't think in my entire lifetime, ever. that would be that. Yeah. That would be really nice to see. And so I think that Luke Getzey understands how to build his offense around having a bad offensive line. And he said in his introductory press conference that this offense is going to be based on, they're not going to know what the offense is until we know what our strengths and weaknesses are. They know a weakness is going to be the offensive line but they think they have a strength in, in a guy like Cole Komet and Justin Fields who throws well on the move, so they're designing their offense accordingly. That's a good one, Studs. I, I like that because Getze has made an immediate impact. We don't know until he calls a game for real, but I think that he has connected, and it's obvious both at the podium and on the field what we're seeing here. Yeah, it's a good segue, guys. Without question, this has been a training camp for the offense that has been defined by inconsistency, that has had frustration, that has had a lack of productivity, that is concerning when you're trying to get Justin Fields' career arc pointed in the right direction. One of the things this coaching staff, Luke Getze and quarterbacks coach Andrew Dinoco, are trying to work with Justin on is establishing pocket presence, right? Understanding the pocket feel of the NFL game, understanding what it looks like. As an extension of that, we had a chance to speak with the assistant coaches last week 
week. And one of the things I asked Andrew Janoco was about the concept of, of getting that pocket feel here. Here's some of that exchange. What are the challenges for a young quarterback at this level to have a feel for climbing and, 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 and sort of being able to coach that into a guy? Um, you know, really, I think it's just it's just a feel, and it's an experience as you gain experience. Um, you know, as you gain experience, as you gain um, reps, live reps, where you're actually getting hit and stuff. That's that's something that, that you can improve upon as you go, and it's something that we're going to constantly teach, focus on, and and understand that he also has a, a special ability to do stuff above that. So, so it's it's building that balance between. You know, staying in progression, trusting you know when the receivers are going to come open, feeling the windows, and then when he has to get out and, and do something above the X's and O's. When you guys talk about listening to his feet uh, in terms of timing, explain like what that means a little bit. Just you know, as far as what are your feet telling you where I need to go with the ball? How are my feet aligned? Are my feet you know going taking me to the target? Are my feet getting my shoulders to the target? And then you know, as the down progresses, as we get later in the in the shot clock. Um, you know, how many hitches am I on? And depending on the play, every play is different. Every expectation of the play is different. Every action is different. So how are my feet telling me when it's time to move on, when it's time to climb in the pocket, and then are my feet are my feet pitter-pattering and am I too late for a throw? And if that's the case, then i, I got to move on. I'm going to either check the ball down or, or take off. David, this is some micro-focused stuff with big-picture significance for the Chicago Bears offense and their franchise quarterback. This is what we need to keep our, our lens dialed in on in the month of September and into October is whether Justin is developing this field, this understanding of what plays call for from him, when he uses his strengths to his, his advantage, when he needs to, to pull the reins back and let a play be the play, right? And this is going to be something that takes time, experience, feel within this system to get going. Let's see what Justin can do with it. Okay, let me play devil's advocate or let me play the Grabowski in the room. Ask the question that I think comes up naturally. Why is what Andrew Janoco said about Justin Fields any different than the technical stuff we heard last year from John Filippo, who also was respected at his job in the league, maybe a little bit more well-traveled, but why do you think that the approach to the specifics and the, the attention to detail – will be any different this time around or means more this season? Uh, well, I don't know that it'll be any different. I don't know that it means more. I think this is just the next set of demands on Justin's plate to go from being a rookie quarterback who lost his last seven starts and, and, and you know, turn the ball off over more often than he threw touchdown passes, right? If you want to take that stair-step approach to becoming an elite quarterback in this league where you've got to start at the bottom of the staircase and take each step one at a time. One of these steps is learning how to operate from the pocket with a comfort level and an understanding of, of as, as Janoko put it in that clip, where the shot clock is at for that play, right? And, and, and what does the protection look like in front of you? And how can you get all of those things in sync so that your offense remains in sync? As we know, for for predating Justin Fields, the Matt Nagy offense was not in sync nearly enough, right? If an offense is not in sync, your whole day is ruined, right? And so that is the next step in getting this offense in sync is getting your young quarterback to understand what it takes to get in sync. Along those lines in closing on this segment, I think I'm curious what you uh, have, have noticed about this. Andrew Janoco, Luke Getze, they have a shared, they have some commonalities in their past. They, they both are Dave Wanstead guys, for goodness sake. But I think <laughs> beyond that, I wonder how 
those connections, that shared past, that history, does that affect at all their ability to, to collaborate, if you will, to work together in sync to get the most out of Justin Fields and the other quarterbacks? I mean, I think it just creates a, a trust, right? That that is needed when you're when you're going through this process. And we talked last week about how Justin certainly seems to be trusting of this regime. Certainly has some high things to say about Luke Getzey. Now they haven't played any games yet. They haven't lost three in a row. When those storms start to shake the boat a little bit, it'll be interesting to see does the, does the trust shake at all, right? And that's when things get really ugly with young quarterbacks is when they lose trust in their offensive line, lose trust in their their play caller, or lose trust in both, right? Then it's all off the rails, and we know what it looks like when it's off the rails in Chicago. All right, time for some quick points in the two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. Well, we'll start with injury news, David. Jaquan, Jaquan Brisker apparently broke his right thumb in the preseason opener against the Kansas City Chiefs. We learned of this via Matt Eberflus on Saturday saying that Jaquan had a right hand injury, timetable for return, uh, uncertain. It would have been really easy for Matt Eberflus to tell us, hey, Jaquan Brisker has had surgery on his right thumb, which was broken. We expect him to have an opportunity to be back for the season opener. Matt's sort of playing this game right now with, with not being willing to give up much of anything on injury information. And there, there, there's points of this, as, as you can well attest, where coaches sort of get in their own way with the games they play with this stuff. It's Foxian. It's ridiculous. Correct. It's necessary, and he will learn that. I think this is part of the inexperience showing. I also wonder, this, Dan, the only thing I care about – I, look, the concealing it is all kind of interesting, but you know how it works. There's a cat and mouse, there's a tug of war, whatever you want to describe it as. <laughs> but I wonder, Jaquan Brisker, week one, you can play with a broken thumb if you're a safety. I'm not suggesting you yeah. go through Ronnie Lott and, you know, uh, and, and consider the amputation part of it. You don't want to go that far. It's extreme. But you can play with a broken thumb, and he's a tough guy. So I think, yes, he can play. But then I remember, he's a great tackler. Yeah. You wonder about his ability to wrap up because you do need your hand to wrap up and that to finish the tackle. So it's not going to be without uh, compromise. But I do think that it's encouraging that they're thinking he can play. No question. And obviously his ball skills will be diminished as well if he's got any sort of cast or brace on that hand that, that limits the way he uses his hands. You know that position as well as anyone. It'll see, be interesting to see how Jaquan handles that. And hopefully he's back on the practice field for that for that Monday of week one or at least the Wednesday of week one. Wanted to mention that Daz Newsom had a tough practice on Sunday, did not have a good game against the Seahawks. Dan, how tenuous is his roster spot? Well, look, if this was a receiving core that was stacked with, with you know, high-quality talent and high-quality depth, you'd say Daz is out the door, but it's not. There's there not a lot of guys that have answered the bell in this training camp at that position to, to you know, step up and, and assure themselves a roster spot. I think Daz may have a future on the practice squad, right, out of, out of the gates here in, in 2022. There's the expanded practice squad. It's a draft pick from the previous regime. Uh, that's probably where he'll land in a month, but certainly you better start showing the new regime that, that you belong, and, and part of that is being able to, to catch the football, uh, whether it's on on return opportunities or, or in the passing game. And what's the deal with whether or not Flusi's going to play the starters against the Browns? <laughs> Look, I was stuck on a plane for three hours yesterday flying back from Vegas. I studied the Browns-Eagles in real time because that were those are my viewing options. So I'm all up on the Browns' second and third teams. I think the Bears have an opportunity to get good or to feel good going into the regular season. The Browns are, don't have that much depth. But are we going to see the starters at all? Because Flusi seems like he's not sure yet. 
He's been noncommittal, and it's my understanding that they're going to have more in-depth discussions on Tuesday to try to find their way to an answer to this. I don't know why they don't have an answer to this already. Matt Eberflus checked into training camp in late July and said, this is a young football team and a young football team that needs to gel, and I plan to play my regulars a significant amount in the preseason. Well, when you're talking about the offense here, we've talked about 18 snaps in the opener for Justin Fields, nine more in Seattle. 27 snaps for me isn't really a, a great on-ramp into a regular season test against the San Francisco 49ers, particularly with all the instability on the offensive line, the lack of timing with your receivers. I'm a big advocate, particularly for the offense. If you want to sit the starting defense, that's fine. I think they've shown enough to camp through camp to be ready for the season over. This offense needs work, and you take advantage of every opportunity you have to get that work, even if it comes with injury risks. I think this offense needs to go out and play on Saturday. We'll see if Matt, Luke, and the rest of the uh, the guys up at Hellas Hall agree. By the way, we're going to have to come up with some mechanism where Adam can actually throw a flag well, some way or another, either it's uh, literal or just uh, <laughs> via the pod, because if I ever call him Flucy again on the air, <laughs> I need to be penalized. It should definitely either be Coach Flucy or Matt Eberflus or Eberflus or just Coach Flus. I don't need to be disrespectful, and I didn't mean any by calling him Flucy, so I need to be flagged for that. Final thought on the two-minute drill, Dan. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I was in Vegas, as you mentioned, uh, for four days. Not a lot of love for the Bears. There's actually some <laughs> feeling that they are going to be among the three worst teams in the NFL. The uh, number is six and a half. And uh, people who do this for a living that help build those shiny buildings that uh, are built on the backs of people who lose bets. Um, they're saying the Bears could be, you know, take the under because the Bears could be the worst team in the National Football League. I don't feel that way. I wonder if they're the, about the disparity between the out-of-town perception of the Bears and the local encouragement based on some training camp positive signs. Rich Campbell and I used to have uh, a saying on our old podcast that we know what a 6-10 and 10 football team looks like because we've seen 6-10 and 10 football teams a lot throughout our careers covering this league. I think this team registers as somewhere in that uh, department. Obviously, it's a 17-game schedule right now, so does that make you 6-11? and 11? Do you maybe drop back a notch and go five and 12. I don't see a football team here that that is so dysfunctional and so limited that they can't uh, at least be the fourth worst team in the NFL, right? Like we're setting the bar pretty low. I think it's really, really strong to say, that they're in, in contention for the number one overall pick. I don't think this Bears team is going to be good this year. They just don't have enough talent on the roster. But I think they can do enough to win five, six, and if everything breaks their way, maybe seven games. And so I'm not really going to get on the, the pylon and say that, hey, yeah, this team is, is by far the, the worst in the league. I'm with you. I will continue to say what I have been saying. They could have a record that is worse than last year, or they could win five to six games. But I do feel strongly that there's an opportunity for this season to end with the arrow pointing up, which would be a positive trajectory for both the Bears as an organization and Justin Fields as a quarterback. So let's wait and see. I am with you all the way. Okay, let's close it up with crown them. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but it's our podcast, so I guess I'm allowed to do this. I'm giving the crown this week in-house. We're staying in-house, David. We're giving it to my Literally in house, giving it to my nine-year-old son, Ryan, who uh, got the opportunity on Sunday afternoon at Wrigley Field to throw out the first pitch before Cubs Brewers. You talk about a bucket list dad moment there, watching him walk out to the mound and, and, and throw that, that baseball. It was a really, really cool moment. Uh, I'll tell you this, that when we told him on Saturday that he was going to have the opportunity to do it, 
Somewhere in, uh, on YouTube, there's a, a, a sequence of the top 10 celebrity first pitches at Wrigley Field, right? <laughs> n- n- number one is Michael Jordan from the 1998 uh, wildcard playing game against the Giants. And he airmails the catcher. And so I said to him, I said, do you think you could do better than Michael Jordan? He said, yeah. I said, no, like, like, do you want the opportunity to try and do better than Michael Jordan? He's like, wait, wait, what? Like, I'm going to get the throw the first pitch at Wrigley? He said, yeah, you get a chance to be better than MJ. I don't know. I posted the clip to Twitter. Do you think he got there? I think he came close. Look, he's nine years old. (laughs) I want to know more about the context because the cool was there. The composure was obvious. And my goodness sakes, forget about the dad bucket list. That's the kid bucket list. That's every kid's dream who's a Cub fan in Chicago going to Wrigley. And I don't think that if I – when I was nine – I would have thought that I could do that, but I could not have done it the way your son pulled it off. I am crowning Ryan as well because that was that was impressive. David, I told Luke Canellis that the composure that he shows makes me want to go take a paternity test because I don't think he can be mine. I I, I would have you know pooped my pants if, if if given that opportunity at age nine. He said, "I said, listen, you want to throw from in front of the money?" He goes, "No, I'm going to the major league rubber. I'm going the full distance. I'm going to the major league rubber." Went out there and threw a, a strike to Clark the Cub. He was a little disappointed that it wasn't Wilson Contreras catching his pitch, but he got that. Clark the Cub anyway. Yeah, I get that. Look, there will be a couple rookie pitchers. On the mound this week at Wrigley, if all the reports are true, uh, with with Nesky and Caleb Killian possibly in town, there will not be a young pitcher <laughs> that will be any more impressive than Ryan Wiederer was on Sunday at Wrigley. I'll take the pats on the back any way I can get them, even they're, if they're uh, peripheral through, through my uh, offspring. So uh, I'm happy to take it, and congrats to Ryan for that moment. That's a great way to wrap this one up. We are going to be here if news breaks. We are going to be here later in this week setting up the Browns finale for the preseason. It is mercifully over. There are roster cuts to come. Maybe when we do this before the, the Browns game, we'll try to, try to project some of those roster decisions and see where the tough calls will come. Thank you for joining us. By the way, you out there in Ethiopia, downloading your <laughs> podcast, thank you. Out there in the Dominican, thank you. Out there in Puerto Rico, Get going here. There's no downloads in Puerto Rico. We want you. We need you. We'll have you. We'll be there for you, Bears fans, all season long. Take the North Podcast. It's at Dan Wiederer, at David Haw, and at Take the North Pod. For Adam Studzinski, for Dan Wiederer, I'm David Haw. Thank you for listening to the Take the North Podcast.